following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Hi, this is Rob Paulson, voice actor, and you folks are listening to The Nerdy Show. Don't you have good taste? Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom, from comics and video games to science and technology. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Doug. Hi, I'm Turbulent Tony. Okay, <laughs> and uh, this episode we're going to be talking about, well, mutant animals, and in some cases, mutanimals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is, which is why I did the alliteration thing. I know that happened a lot in the mutanimals. You mean with, uh, with Jaguar and Dreadmon and Wingnut and Screwloose and Mondo Gecko and Man Ray. The alliteration, Tony? Yeah! <laughs> that pause was not edited. That was the full length. <laughs> I, I heard a lot of letters in there. That's, that's what alliteration means, right? Well, Mighty Mutanimals, that's the one. That's I'd... the one you get. Okay. <laughs> oh, and Leatherhead. Almost forgot about him. He's important. Well, the Mighty Mutanimals, they were a spinoff of the 90s Ninja Turtles comic book, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Adventures. If any of those names that I listed off were familiar to you, they, they represented a supergroup, if you will, of um, anthropomorphic animal characters in the Ninja Turtles universe who, by the virtue of them being mutants in a world where that's, you know, uncommon, banded together and uh, ended up fighting a sort of different set of villains, often more environmentally themed in its original incarnation. And uh, we're going to be talking not just about the mutant animals as this eclectic group of mutant heroes, but also Ninja Turtles in general, and how many crazy, wonderful characters that series had. This is in some ways a, a sequel episode to our episode from last year, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Adventures with Steve Murphy. Steve Murphy, a.k.a. Dean Clarane. He's published uh, more turtle stories and more mediums than any other author, even including the creators Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. That means he's a badass, ladies and gentlemen. It does. <laughs> In this episode, we're not just going to be talking amongst ourselves about the Ninja Turtles and the Mutanimals, but we're also going to be talking to, well, Kevin Eastman, co-creator <laughs> of the Ninja Turtles. I get to talk to Kevin Eastman? Unfortunately, no. Oh. We'll get into that in just a sec. And also, the creative team behind, believe it or not, a brand new Mutanimals book being published by IDW as part of the current Turtles comics continuity. We're going to be talking to author Paul Allure and artist Andy Kuhn. You will be able to talk to them. Really? I guess uh, it's a, unlike I, Kevin Eastman, you'll be able to talk to them. <laughs> Wait a minute. Why don't I, I, I want to talk to everybody. What's, why can't I? Well, I moderated a panel with Kevin Eastman at last year's Heroes Con, and uh, we unfortunately hadn't had a chance to use it yet. So this is the golden opportunity for the interview to come out of its shell. <laughs> yes, it would be you who brings back the most horrific thing to ever happen to Ninja Turtles. <laughs> the coming out of their shells musical tour. That wasn't exactly the reference I was going for, but I'm glad that I was the one to bring it up. Because if anybody's going to be a lightning rod for the hate that's about to follow, it might as well be me. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> they were on Oprah. They were. Yeah, and yeah. we'll link to where you can watch that on this episode's page because it is terrifying. Please don't watch it. <laughs> no, please do because the bit about interspecies romance no, is don't even talk about classic. <laughs> oh my God. It's handled in a far less tactful way than the new TMNT series between Donnie and April. 
<laughs> we are going to actually be talking as well about the 2012 ongoing Nickelodeon animated series. Somebody pinch me. This is fantastic. I mean, as you can see by our predominant logo for Nerdy Show, we love the Ninja Turtles an awful lot. Yeah. And surprisingly, we actually haven't spent a lot of time throughout our six-year career talking about the Ninja Turtles. It's criminal, it is. If the Ninja Turtles were around in real life, they would bust us for not talking about it enough. <laughs> so our episode last year, when the Turtles celebrated the 30th anniversary talking to Steve Murphy, was awesome. So we'll keep talking about Turtles as often as we damn well can. Hell yeah. It's an interesting time for Turtles. The three largest things to happen to them after uh, Viacom bought the rights to the Turtles from the creators, we got the, the 2012 animated series, we got the comic book at IDW, and of course, the Michael Bay produced film. Which what? I did the hard truth about, which we'll link to on this episode's page. That's true. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. You haven't been talking about the Turtles, but I've been talking about the Turtles. You've been, you've been dishing out some hard truths about Turtles, Doug. That is true. We're going to spend some time talking about the things that have a little bit more quality control than, let's say, the Michael Bay produced film. Mm -hmm. and, and talk a little bit about the, these newer incarnations of the Turtles in this episode. So, Cap, you are, and, and I don't feel I'm out of line in saying this, the biggest Turtles fan in the room. Yeah, that's probably true. I remember years ago when Mike found out that I had the opportunity to meet with Chris Allen, one of the Turtles Adventures artists, the predominant Turtles Adventures artist, he made a point to call you and you nerded out on the phone about the fact that I'd spoken to him. Yeah, no, yeah. And I'm still maybe a little mad at you over it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was weird for me, too. I mean, I've had a I, I personally have had a long connection with the Turtles, perhaps not as in depth. He said the biggest fan, if the definition of fan would be accumulated knowledge and the tendency to be super jelly when you did something they didn't. And Kappa would take the cake in this case. Well, and, and, and that is a special case because uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Adventures, which was uh, published by Archie, is my favorite run of any Ninja Turtles thing in any medium ever. I think it's the, the best combination of all the elements that made the Turtles fun and unique. In a lot of ways, the incarnation that I take the most seriously. It had a lot mm -hmm. of heavy themes. My experience with the Turtles, of course, I was a child of the 80s. I fell in love with the cartoon, bought a shit ton of the action figures, and loved the movies to death. I actually didn't have a chance to read any of the comics until I was significantly older. Those of you who listen to Nerdy Show know that I'm an artist. They were the first things I ever drew with the most potato-looking motherfucking muscles that I think you can be. I just threw S's over and over and over again and attempted to make an arm. I had no idea what the hell a joint was. That sounds really those bad out of context. Were, <laughs> those potatoes were ripped, dog. They were fantastic. Raphael was my favorite turtle for the longest time. I started to gravitate toward Mikey. Now I love them all equally. My experience growing up was very similar to Tony's. Found them through the cartoon, forced my parents to buy me as many toys as they could afford. <laughs> and uh, the movies were religion growing up. I feel so bad for my father, who took me to see the third movie as a special surprise when we were on vacation one day. I was, I was feeling lonely. And he's like, come on, kid, we're going to go to the movies. And it's like, we're going to, okay. And it's Turtles. And it's like, oh, boy. And I've grown up and I've saw the third movie. And it's like, oh, my poor dad. He yeah. had no idea what he was getting into. But he didn't me, deserve me, this. The, the first movie was definitely one that me and my dad still no, share. Absolutely. To this day, of where it's like, anytime we would see a movie or a cartoon where it was a group of heroes, yep. after it was over, there would be a thing where I, my dad and I would look at each other and I'd say, well, what's the verdict? And he would still say, the turtles would kick their ass. And, 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 and <laughs> most of the time it was true. I think the first movie where he had a problem answering that question was The Avengers. <laughs> I'm like, all right, Dad, how about the Avengers? Nah, I'm pretty sure Tony and the Hulk, uh, <laughs> pretty sure they might be able to take the Turtles. And I'm like, yeah, yeah but, you know. Hulk's got a little bit of muscle on Raph, and Tony's yeah. just a little bit smarter than Donnie. And let's face it, Cap, Cap versus Leo. 
I don't know how that but, would end. But not Sword me. versus Shield. I'm pretty sure. No, different you know. Cap- Captain America, not, right. not Cap yeah. Black. But my favorite growing up was Donatello. You are so wearing you the were, purple headphones. Yeah, you, you were you were Raph. I was Donatello. What was what was Cap's favorite? I mean, this is maybe predictable, but uh, I did not have a favorite. It was you li- lie. It, no, I swear. <laughs> In I your swear. heart, you know. No, like literally a conglomerate. The only time I've ever shown any sort of favoritism was in the video games. You want Donatello, he's got the reach. That's it. Okay, I, I just got to say, though, if I was to put four masks on the table right now and they were four different colors. And no oh, one has picked one yet. Red, because all the turtles masks are red in the Mirage comics. In the Mirage comics, yes, but that's not what I'm talking but about. But I would know that I'm repping all of them simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, the, all right, all right, so forget the masks, okay. the belts. You have to pick the belt. No, they were the same in the Mirage comics as well. Four different nope. sets of weapons. Well, no, if, if, he's, if he's showing me the animated belts, they got the goofy fucking right, right, the letters. Okay, he gets the animated belts, but I don't get to use the animated bandanas? No, I'm saying I would pick the red one. Because, because it represents all of because them. I, <laughs> because I cheat the system. Ah, okay, I see, I see. Okay, 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 okay. I want to hear you say... What was your favorite as a kid? Doesn't have to be now. No, no, I'm serious, man. I know this sounds like a bullshit answer, and I swear to you it's not true. I never had favoritism towards any turtle. If anything... Did you was... have any of the toys? Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah motherfucker. Which one did you get first? <laughs> I don't remember. It was a long time ago. <laughs> I no, got I, them all I, at oh, the no, same no, no, no. time. Actually, actually, hold on a sec, hold on a sec. I was actually given a turtle's action figure. I hadn't thought about something in maybe ever. I was given a turtle's action figure before I ever saw the show. What? What was the first Turtles toy you asked for? That's a good question. I'm not sure. You know, the, party the, van. The, the first line was out. It was the four Turtles, uh, Splinter and April and Casey and Shredder and a foot soldier, I think. I'm trying to remember. Uh, you know, it was probably April because as soon as you get the four Turtles and it's like yeah, if, if you're getting the Turtles then you want the Turtles human friend, April O'Neil. Yeah. And she was impossible to find. So it quickly became a serious quest that one day I walked into, I was in a mall and walked into KB just as they lifted up the slats and I was with my grandma and they were cutting open a box of turtles and she knew because we'd both been, I'd been like, no, we gotta get this. <laughs> listen, grandma. <laughs> you listen here. Actually, both of them knew. Both grandmas were, were well aware of what was happening here. They were and, the grandma team. And April was in the box and we did it. Mm. I think the first thing I asked for was the blimp. That was the one I'm like, I gotta get that blimp, yo. I gotta <laughs> get that blimp. Turtles are great. What can we say? I mean, obviously, we've got a lot of love for these guys. I just want Cap to know that unless he ever confesses what one is his favorite, anytime we're talking, I'm gonna be secretly dissecting, psychoanalyzing everything he's saying, trying to determine, like, I'll just be like which turtle he would be. Yeah, like, not even what he would be, but what his favorite would be. I can't answer the action figure question. I don't think I did ever. I'm fairly mm-hmm. certain I was given Donatello first. Mm-hmm. And that was my first experience with Ninja Turtles anything. Mm-hmm. And it was a random gift from a random relative. I couldn't even tell you which one it was. Right. And shortly after that, I saw part one of the multi-part introductory episode to the series. It's, it's funny because I've heard multiple interviews with people who were involved with that. And none of the actors they brought on thought that they were going to be on for anything more than just that five episode series. They had no idea what was going on with the Turtles in the outside world. Well, because it wasn't going on yet. But it was about to. It was lightning in a bottle. And it's affected everybody. I mean, like, we actually did a microsode years ago that was about Ninja Turtle ripoffs. And ripoff is a strong word, but Ninja Turtles are such a cultural phenomenon. Everyone wanted to slice that pie. That's where you get the goddamn street sharks and biker mice from Mars and any other crazy anthropomorphic animal that happened anywhere in the 90s. Or even shows like Toxic Crusaders, you know, where they took the trauma property of the Toxic Avenger and built it into this crazy super team with action figures by playmates who did the turtles some of the craziest sculpts you'll ever see in your entire life for action figures 
all just as part of the cultural zeitgeist of, of everything the turtles influenced. They I even mean, spoofed it on the real Ghostbusters in that one episode. I don't what you're not familiar with. The, there's an episode of the real Ghostbusters where it's like these ghosts, but they're not fully ghosts. They're from. It's hard to explain. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but they're basically like four chameleons or lizards that like to surf. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, and then they come out and they're just like, whoa, dude! They're just like totally making fun of the turtles. And they're just like, man, these guys are annoying. Yeah, let's bust it. I mean, it's it's, it's all in good fun. There's no malice in it, but it's a thinly veiled spoof of the the Ninja Turtles because it was very popular at the time. I mean, hell, even the biker mice from Mars, there was a line in one of the first episodes. The human says, you're giant mice. He goes, you were expecting turtles, maybe? At the heart of all this stuff was people's just enthusiasm for these crazy designs, these crazy characters, this these wild anthropomorphic creations wearing insane costumes. And that's one of the things that if you're a frequent listener of Nerdy Show that uh, Doug, Tony and I have based the entire Lightning Dogs project around tapping into what was so great about cartoons of that time period, which we'll link to on this episode's page if you're unfamiliar with all that. So how, how did the mutanimals come out of Ninja Turtles? How did that evolve or mutate into its own separate thing? In the course of TMNT adventures, uh, the turtles found themselves in a situation where they were traveling uh, different parts of North and South America and also different dimensions. And throughout those adventures within the first uh, 10 issues or so, there's a bunch of background characters of people they met along the way, strange mutants and so on. People who weren't mutants, but were instead like mystical anthropomorphic creatures. And based on a story arc involving a evil industrialist named Null selling the world to Maglina, a insect alien queen who wanted to consume this ripe earth as locusts would consume a field. They all got together in this invasion story arc, and it was part of a, a three-issue miniseries that was called The Mighty Mutanimals. All the characters end up getting together via various factors. Wingnut and Screwloose got dumped on Earth. Leatherhead was a guy who was changed into an alligator via some extraterrestrial mystical means, who then ended up in Dimension X and became an intergalactic wrestler and then found his way back to Earth. Like and you do. These are crazy stories, crazy awesome stories. Man Ray was a guy who was mutated. Dreadmon was a, a kid who was cursed to be a werewolf with super speed. Jaguar was a child of a, of a jaguar spirit and a human woman who communed spiritually and then created an actual physical child that so was neither a, human nor animal. Jesus Jaguar then. It's a spirit impregnating a woman. Jaguar Jesus. That makes sense to me. <laughs> can he run so fast he runs across water? Well, Dreadmon can, but uh, not Jaguar. Hmm. Close um, enough. But all really eclectic stories after banding together at the end of that story arc a little while later ended up getting their own series and crossed over, you know, repeatedly through the pages of Ninja Turtles. We cover a lot of the, the behind the scenes for Mutanimals in our previous episode, which I can't recommend enough, which we'll link to on this episode's page. where We talk about the fate of the Mutanimals, the Mutanimals animated series that never happened, that it was in, in production at one point in time. But before we uh, we get ahead of ourselves too much, let's cut to a track. And then when we get back, we're going to hear from Kevin Eastman. We're going to play a track from a Game of Thrones punk band called Daenerys and the Targaryens. You have to hear it to believe it, but uh, they're completely awesome. They've got an album currently in production, and this is a track from it. It's called Walk Through Fire. Danny doesn't want to play. Danny doesn't want to play dumb anymore. Danny doesn't want to be. Danny doesn't want to be a purple-eyed boar. I wouldn't know that you're a spy on me You think I couldn't tell Dario from season two to season three 
Danny doesn't wanna kill. Danny doesn't wanna kill. Children are whores. Danny wants to free the slaves. Danny wants to free the slaves from cleaning the floors. But I will make them fight my war. Just wait and see. Watch my dragons burn all those who try to cross me. Cause I'm the tick who walks through fire. I'm the tick who walks through fire. I'm the tick who walks through fire. I'm your number one desire. How's the show been so far? Let's do pleasantries. Well, it's been awful. The fans have been terrible. Mm -hmm. Really, mm -hmm. really annoying. Creating these huge lines and yeah, huge lines, <laughs> In, intensely huge lines. You, you goodness, won no, the contest. It's, it's been fantastic. I mean, that's what's um, what's probably the most amazing to me is you know, 30 years later, you guys are still coming out and talking about your favorite turtles, and now it's become generational too. So it's not only you know new fans that discover the turtles but fans uh, of the original turtle series are now you know have children and they're bringing their kids here and they're into the new stuff and it's it's such an amazing thing to me that y you guys discovered like the turtles in the first place and now it's become a whole new generation of kids and that blows my mind i mean it really is uh the days i get up and i think that you know 30 years later i'm still talking about turtles Kevin, I was curious what your collaborative process with Pete was like. Sometimes you got a, a comics duo, you, like Stan and Jack, you got a, a writer and an artist, but you guys were both writers, you guys were both artists. So how did that work for the first 11 issues? What was great is that um, we both like to write and we both like to draw. So really it was a, almost a, a total mind meld is that we would, um, would literally sit around and talk about ideas, things that we liked, and it'd be just a process of elimination. And one of us would do a beat sheet of just story points that we wanted to cover. Typically, just by probably me grabbing it away from him, I would do the basic layouts to kind of beat the story out. And from that point on, we'd just basically um, sit in the same room and pass the pages back and forth. So it's like I'd start penciling and uh, I'd get halfway through a page or so and I'd turn it over to him and he would do the same. 
And then we penciled the entire issue before we started inking it. And then it was um, passing it back and forth. And it was funny because it was like this you know, weird race between who got to do the cool panels first. So I'd like ink this panel, the action shot, and this. And then at the end, we'd end up with the last three weeks of work would be all the stuff neither of us wanted to do the background shot drawing trees and buildings <laughs> so, but it was but yeah it was just it was complete mind melt we tried to get half of each of us on every single page and it was fantastic very cool what would you like to know between you know the comics and the, the cartoons and the toys i mean there's just been so many different variations on the franchise is there any like point in time where you're like you would like to have done something different the turtles were i mean it was just such a, the happiest possible accident ever and that when we did the first book, we never thought we'd sell a single copy, and when it started selling well, and then we had the success with the comic books, and then when we started working on the, on the cartoon show, we'd already written the original comic books for ourselves, and when we were working on the cartoon show, it was written specifically for like a seven-year-old, and then that worked, and we approved that look, and then when we did the, the Turtles movie, it was sort of a hybrid of half the animated stuff and the, and the black and white stuff. You know, even when we had some of the artists in the early days coming in and doing turtle stories, you know, pitching us turtle ideas, and we'd approve them and, and sometimes work with them on them and, and different levels of detail. But we grew up in comic books where, you know, even like today, there's writers and artists that we follow from the Avengers to Spider-Man to, you know, Todd McFarlane's drawn lots and lots of characters. So we were used to seeing different creative teams change. And, you know, we might like this version of Captain America better than that version, but we still liked them both because we just like Captain America. The stuff that I do with the Turtles is like, you know, I appreciate every single other version of what's being done with the Turtles, but the stuff that I do is written for me, and that's my favorite version, and, and stuff that I'd like to do with them. I still have a few, you know, Turtle dream projects uh, I'd like to do, but I love them all. It's like, you know, it's like you can't like one of your kids any less than the others. Well, sometimes you can, but not always. Um, but uh, I love all the different versions of them. Thanks. Yeah, the Turtles Thank incarnations you. are really varied. I mean, uh, like just here in the front row, we got a t-shirt with Scratch, who's a relatively obscure action figure character. The shirt over there's got some of the Mighty Mutanimals, some of the uh, cartoon incarnations of them. And Mirage Studios itself was a big part of that because you had a creative team who were all creating wild and different stuff for a completely varied Turtles universe. It's kind of like you were just making cool stuff, throwing it against the wall, seeing what stuck with your various publishers and distributors. When you guys were starting that out, was that the idea? Like, we'll just, we'll, we'll make all the crazy stuff, we'll see what they take? What did Mirage Studios as a collaborative space with all those people represent? Well, a lot of it was like, you know, when we did the original series, it was, um, we wrote and drew those stories uh, that we wanted to see when uh, we had other artists that were coming in, Jim Lawson, uh, Steve Murphy, Mike Dooney, and Ryan Brown. We were, at the best of times, when we could get on a regular schedule, we were putting out a Turtles book every two months, and we started working on the, uh, on the licensing stuff, it became three months. And so we came up with this idea of doing Tales of the Turtles, Tales of the New Turtles. We would take different artists that would then, would be issues done exploring other ideas like, you know, Rat King and Nobody and characters like that came out of the, the Tales series. And those would come out in the middle because, you know, fans would be like, man, it takes you guys forever. You know, we're doing these 40-page books, but it took us forever to get them out. But the rest of the stuff came basically out of need when Dean Clarane, Steve Murphy, Ryan Brown and that stuff, when Archie took out a license to do the Turtles to adapt the animated look as a comic book series to put out the newsstands. We wanted to produce it in-house, and those guys stepped up, and they came up with a whole new turtle universe based on the animated series. And so we almost had, like, different parts, some edgier turtles over here, animated turtles there, guys doing licensing, you know, video game designs or board game designs or coloring books, random house. We produced most of that stuff in-house. So you had all these different turtle universes running around and an occasional Nerf gunfight. <laughs> I heard that uh, Michael Bay wanted to do the turtles from outer space. <laughs> How, what was your thoughts on that? Did that make you mad? or? Well, he was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
No, well, no, obviously, no. but no. What's funny was um, I've been working with the the writers and um, Jonathan Leavesman and working on the story. And a lot of you know if you read the original comic books, the turtles mutagen, the turtles ooze comes from out of space. The TCRI aliens, the Krang, and all that stuff. That's where the mutagen originated from. And I think Michael Bay had just come off like a grueling schedule where he was uh, just finishing up Transformers, a new Transformers movie, and was going up to say this presentation. And they were like, "Okay, there's this alien ooze, and they do this, and then and he's like, "Okay, got it." And he walked up on stage and said, "Yeah, the turtles are gonna be aliens." They're like, what? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, and so uh, in Hollywood, if you have uh, bad press, it can actually be better than good press sometimes. So that's where the, the basis of that started. And it's basically the oozes of alien origin. And we looked at a lot of different turtle story ideas. And some of them I won't tell you about that before, <laughs> even before, way before Michael Bay and Jonathan Leavesman came in. And some of them were just ludicrous. But ultimately, the director and Michael said, you know, we really want to stick to what made the turtles great in the first place and make a great, great movie and lots of action and, and fun stuff. So. Hi. Hi. This is so cool. My question <laughs> Thank you. My question is, how do you respond to like all the internet pandemonium about like the new movies? Well, it's a great question because it is it's really it's it's something that we've never not dealt with. I remember when um even in the comics community when um we were working on the first cartoon series, most of the comic book people weren't weren't like Oh, you know, good for you guys. You own your own characters. You're controlling your own characters. And you've decided because you own and control everything, you want to do a cartoon series and you have final say on what's being done with that series. That's really great. We're really proud of you. That's great. Most of them said, sell out. I can't believe you're doing a stupid kid series. We can't believe, you know, it was like, there was so much dislike, especially in the comics community of that first turtle series. It's like, well, you changed the bananas. You put a little R or an M on their thing and you did all this stuff. It was like, we said, well, it was our decision. It's our characters, but we, they hated us and they hated that series when it first came out. And it's, you know, the fans that discovered the turtles through that, that was the first time we had that kind of exposure. And that's what made the turtles, I think, took them down the road to where they are. Once you had now fans of the animated series and the uh, black and white series, and, and you sort of have the, the old guard versus the new guard, when we did the movie, because it was kind of a hybrid, the people that liked the animated series thought the movie was didn't like the look of the, of the turtles. They said, oh, it's too edgy and they're scary and don't do that. That's awful. And the fans that liked the black and white series said, oh, you're making it too kid-like and you've gone the other way. Every movie that we've done, every project that we've done, from Venus to Milo, which was is a long story there, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which... Uh, I like Venus. Um, I worked on that uh, hard, and uh, we tried to make a great project out of that. But every different version is detractors, even when we started in the IDW series. I mean, the four turtles falling into the sewer, but Raphael gets separated, and April's back in the lab, and she's the one that names the turtles, not Splinter. And the things that we did there, we thought we were going to be crucified. We thought that the fans are going to be like, oh, my God. And the same with the new animated series that Nickelodeon was doing. We got just got tons and tons of internet traffic going like, Oh, they look cardboard. They look stupid. We don't like them. Why are you guys doing them that way? It's like, you, you, you're ruining my childhood. You know, do them like the old 80s cartoon. And with the Michael Bay movie, it's the same thing. And it's Jonathan Leavesman is the director. Michael Bay is the producer. And when they started on the project, they came to me almost immediately. And they said, look, Paramount produced the Avengers and they're producing the Turtle movie. They said, if we've learned nothing from the Avengers, we want to make the best Turtle movie ever. But we want to try to sort of make it a little bit of our own. So uh, I worked on the design. I have a cameo in the movie. I worked on the script. You know, I'm almost glad there's lower expectations of people going into it because I think they'll find it's a lot better than what they think it's going to be in their mind and hopefully it's going to be. But you look at Black and White Turtles, Animated Turtles, 2007 Animated Show, the 2000 series, Animated Series, Venus de Milo, the live action, every different version of the Turtles is slightly different and gone a different way. And you guys have come out every time and embraced it, and uh, hopefully you'll do the same with the movie. If not, I'm going to go find a hole in the ground, and you'll never <laughs> see me again. So. 
Yeah, the turtles are interesting from a marketing perspective. People would describe them as an evergreen property, like Mickey Mouse or Mario, right? But they have far more varied incarnations than just about anything. Even Batman, the turtles get more diverse than traditional big two comic character. Yeah, it's great. You know, you look at like, you know, the different versions of Superman, you Batman, Gothic Knights to whatever. No, it's, it is. I think the turtles are a bit more varied and, and I always keep coming down to um, the only reason I'm sitting up here 30 years after, you know, Peter and I drew the first turtles is it's, it's your fault, your fault, your fault. <laughs> no, thank you. If you guys didn't um, come out and enjoy at least some aspect of the turtles and have some love for them, then because you can have, you know, buzzwords like, oh, they're evergreen or oh, they're this or they can try to manipulate an idea to be that kind of success. But it doesn't mean anything unless you guys like it. On the topic of movies, there was a time after the third live-action Turtles film, you guys were actually soliciting, I saw some ads for a fourth live-action film with a fifth turtle named Kirby, Mm -hmm. and I know very, very little about that project. Well, that's the origin of Venus de Milo. Oh, yeah? Um, Literally, it was like, we were developing a fourth uh, movie with New Line, and uh, they wanted a fifth turtle, so we wanted to do, again, homage to Kirby, Jack Kirby, so we came up with a fifth male turtle named Kirby, and... You know, some ooze got further down the thing and exposed a different kind of turtle than what the turtles came from. And we developed a whole story, and, and I think we did two or three versions of the script, and then New Line decided they didn't want to be in the turtle business anymore, so they passed on the project. It was picked up by another company called Motion Picture Corporation of America. We developed it further with them. They then couldn't raise the money for it. And this was around the time that the cartoon series was coming off the air, and we were working on developing a live-action series with Margaret Lesh and, and Haim Saban over at Saban. And Kirby was the fifth turtle. We took that idea and incorporated it into um, the uh, TV series. And I tell you, we developed this for we scripts and scripts, and we sort of beat the whole thing out. And it was like in the 11th hour of just before sort of finalizing, Margaret Lesh decided, I don't want the fifth turtle to be a guy turtle. I want it to be a girl turtle. And uh, we were like, uh, you know, so it was, we really didn't like that idea. We already sort of felt that we'd pushed it as far as we could to do... Um, a guy turtle adapted into the movie, make that work as a, something that fit into the turtle's history and the turtle's legend, I guess, if you will. And she basically said, well, if there's no girl turtle, there's no show. We're not going to do it. And Pete said, look, I don't want any part of it. If you want to try to manage a show and, and see if you can make it work, then and good luck to you. And so that's where Kirby became Venus. And, wow. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's Hollywood. They, they don't give... A, Crap. Yeah. <laughs> so we just try to make it work within that parameters. And some people like it, some people don't. And, and you know, we, I worked hard on it anyway. I love April O'Neil. Mm. And I actually dressed up as her yesterday. I remember you. Thank you. Yeah. And I wanted to know what inspired you to make April O'Neil. April was a, a great character because it was a guys club. We had four, you know, teenage boys. Um, uh, and then we had, you know, Splinter being the father figure. And we wanted to have a, a big sister kind of character that, you know, someone that could sort of bring in a different perspective and all that. It was an idea that we sort of had when we first developed the idea of Baxter Stockman in the second issue. And we wanted uh, someone that was smart. She was a scientist and she was um, no pushover. She was like 1985, a modern woman that could take care of herself and sort of still be the sister of the turtles never had. So that was the original idea. We just wanted a female to be part of the group. And, and I love the new, you like the new version of April? Yeah. It's so cool. I thought it was one of the things that Ciro did great was to age her down to, I think she's 16 in this one and the Turtles are 15. So it really adds a neat dynamic to the group. It's very cute. Yeah, the Nickelodeon show is a really exciting, it's, it's very classic in its, in its scope of Turtles, but then they did so much that was different, like having April and Casey be 
teenagers like they were opened up so many possibilities to things that felt like true turtle stories, but at the same time, you know, vastly different from what was possible before. Now it's so cool. The, uh, when we started working on the animated series with Ciro, he's the executive producer that's responsible for making it so cool. Um, Ciro grew up as a huge, huge fan. His father owned a pizza place in Philadelphia, dragged his mother to all the turtle movies and stuff. When, and I was a fan and friend of Ciro's work before he started working on the series and was so thrilled that he got the series and he just did the most amazing job reinventing the turtles in many, many ways, but also taking his favorite bits out of turtle universes, I guess, from the comic books to the old animated show to the movies and rolling him into a whole new um, series in the sense that first episode, they come up out of the ground for the first time and, and explore New York and discover pizza. And I just love the fact that you go into the animation office and they have all these old covers and everything from all the original series all pinned up on the wall. And I love that he ended the, the whole introduction to the new turtle animated series with, uh, with that picture. One of the coolest things we've done uh, this past year was Ciro uh, got us to do a, a voice. He wanted us to do a voice on the new cartoon show. I said that, well, I want to do a voice. I want to do something kind of funny, something kind of silly, kind of like what George Clooney did when uh, he did the South Park voice, where he was the dog. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were at Comic-Con last year, and uh, he put up this um, shot of this new character they come up with based on a character we did in the original Michelangelo series. Michelangelo found this cat called Clunk, so he wanted to have this cat as part of the series. And um, April discovers the cat, gives it to Michelangelo, and uh, Michelangelo is trying to take care of it, accidentally get, exposes it to uh, ice cream and mutagen, so he becomes Ice Cream Kitty. I don't know if you've seen that episode. <laughs> so when they showed the picture of Ice Cream Kitty, I stood up and was like, that's it, that's what I want to be. I want to be Ice Cream Kitty. And they thought I was kidding, and so we kept... I kept sending him texts and notes and said, I'm Ice Cream Kitty, damn it. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and so they let us do the voice, and so we were sitting there watching it with our son and, and going, <laughs> he just, he loved it. He thought it was really funny. He said, you're that cat, really? <laughs> <laughs> Ice Cream Kitty was a great treat in the show. I didn't find out that you were responsible for the voice until afterwards. I love that. That's super weird. You know, it sounds, you do a really good job. <laughs> Of making those cat noises. You had a lot of practice beforehand? I did. I lived with cats for about a month out in the backyard. <laughs> Herded up all the neighborhood cats, and I slept with them. We ate together. And <laughs> caught mice. <laughs> I don't know. It's like when we were doing that, we were in the control booth up at Nickelodeon doing the voice, and I don't know who was laughing harder, Courtney or the other people in the booth recording the voices. I'm like, because you can't just do the voice. You have to be like, you got to make the claw, you know, make all these crazy faces. So they, they probably recorded like what, like an hour of just random ice cream kitty noises to dub in throughout the series or? It was about four weeks of work every day. No, it was about, <laughs> I think it was about an hour yeah. of cat noises. Can you, make, can you make an angry cat sound? Can you make a happy cat sound? Oh, and a dying cat sound. And that's right. Yeah, there's a horrible scene where he, where he mutates. It's like, it's kind of gross, but then he becomes a happy ice cream kitty. He's going to play a pivotal role in all the episodes from now all the way through to the end of the series. <laughs> not enough water to do the full it's like I have, to, I have to get a running start for this when I come up to the mic I'm not going to do it <laughs> the uh, Nickelodeon incarnation of Ninja Turtles I can't sing the praises of enough I mean granted I, I'm a purist I love the comic books so for me it's going to be really hard to beat the 2003 series that was based heavily on the original Mirage comics but Nickelodeon you know they, they bought this franchise because it was well, it's a big deal. Yep. And in creating this series, they, man, they, they just crammed together the best elements of Turtles from every continuity all over, just mashed into one really fresh take on the series. 
No, and a lot of that is due, like uh, Kevin was saying in that interview, to Ciro Neely, who grew up as Turtles super fan, who chased this project a little bit, trying to make sure. And he is, I mean, because he is super fan, he brings that to everything he's doing. He's incorporating all these different elements of prior continuity. You don't necessarily know where things are going, but when you get there, it's like, oh, I see how all that came together. Elements are introduced very early on that pay off later, like Raph having a pet turtle. Right, pet turtle, which, spoiler alert, but I mean, not really. Is Slash. Because it's all in good fun. Yeah, eventually becomes Slash. And just the idea that Rav would even have a pet turtle is, I mean, it, it could just be a charming little character point because, you know, Rav is the big tough guy and he's got this side that's really doting. But on the flip side, it's an Easter egg to people who know what's going on. They even gave him his little palm tree. Yeah, now that plucked my heartstrings. I remember before I got to see the Nickelodeon TV series, I was worried that it just wasn't going to be very good. I mean, everybody had their reasons, but when I finally saw it, I was just like, just so relieved that it was doing its own thing. In fact, when we listened to the Kevin Eastman interview just now, when a little girl says, oh, you know, I love April O'Neil and she's like my favorite character. In my mind's eye, I pictured my April O'Neil, which is Mm -hmm. from the cartoon. And then when she when I realized it's like Kevin has to point out, oh, yeah, you know, all these young kids coming with the new cartoon. I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like you can see it happening again with a whole new generation. So I can't be mad. at. I mean, not that I wasn't to begin with. I think it's a yeah. great show, but it's even if you don't like the new show, it's proof that it's bringing in a, a whole quite literally a whole new crowd. All these young people may have never seen any of it before. And that just makes me very happy as a fan. And I got to say, to Kevin's point where he was talking about how, you know, making April a little bit closer in age to the Turtles, they have really nailed the teenage aspect, both the fact that these are teenagers and that they're brothers, the way that they bicker, the way that they bounce off of each other. And one thing that has always plagued Leonardo is that he was he was largely a vanilla character. He had to be the leader. It doesn't allow for a lot of character growth. He's got to be the one to move the plot along. And unfortunately, most times that means that he's got to be kind of an even keeled character. Right. Well, like but, he, he was in the past. But mm-hmm. like one of the things I like about the new show and especially the comics and everything else is that even in the movies, they started to give him more stuff to do. Like they found a good balance between him and Raph, the student teacher thing between him and Splinter. Like the cartoon is what you and I got started on. Mm-hmm. So as a kid, I never thought about it. But the older I got, the more you can look back and say, oh, yeah, I was a little flat or whatever. But they've they've really taken care of him and they kept him like relevant, which was Again, another huge relief. Yeah, as prodigal son leader archetypes go, like he's doing really quite well now. And Cyclops and the X Men, similar problem. People are are starting to get over that hump of dealing with characters like that. Right. And and it might sound a little naive of me, but uh, I'd never really truly considered Raph to be the better fighter until the CG uh, turtle movie. Oh, that that fight. The the, the scene between Leo and Raph in the Imagi CGI animated feature film. That may someday be topped, but that's still the greatest moment of Leo Raph conflict in all of Turtlesdom. It is the scene that the rest of the movie hangs around, really. Like the rest a, of the film pales in comparison. To yeah, but, but I remember seeing that scene and just being like, young me inside my head was like, oh, they're going to fight and it's going to be a close fight, maybe a draw. But at the end, Leo's got to be the one who takes control and sort of snaps him out of it. But when it ends with Raph's the one still standing, I was just like, oh my gosh, they went there. And that's... <laughs> fantastic i mean like I, did, I, ne- I didn't think they would do it but i'm so glad they did as to the nickelodeon series going back to the age of april and everything yeah. what they've done with all the characters has really been fantastic they've really enhanced what worked about each of them what made so many of their character dynamics memorable 
The voice cast is impeccable. Greg Sipes is Michelangelo. Holy God. Rob Paulson's Donatello is incredible. It's, it's, not, it's not even right to compare it to the Raphael work. It was a different show. It was a different time, but he's just nailed that character. I would never think that I would be attached to anything Jason Biggs has ever done, but I'm, I was really sorry to see him go as Leonardo, even though he's you know replaced by Seth Green, who's got plenty of nerd cred, but Jason Biggs did a fucking fantastic job as Leonardo. He really has. Now, I haven't had a chance to watch as many of the post-Biggs episodes. How has Seth Green handled the role? Uh, I don't know yet. Leo's been in a, actually kind of a stupid place lately in the show, but now they're actually um, doing their version of the Return to New York story arc, which is under, under very different circumstances than any previous incarnation, so we'll see how it goes. It's been kind of a hard time with Leo. They spent an entire season out on the farmhouse away from New York. And it's a very strange show. It's a show that while I I enjoy it and I would recommend it, it also it balances silly and serious in such a way so that it actually does itself a disservice sometimes. That kind of ties back to Ciro Neely, who also did Teen Titans, who has some of the I mean, they've got these really excellent character arcs and these really off the wall, goofy episodes. You don't always know what show you're watching. Where there's damage done in Turtles is that it has moments that are extremely serious, some legitimate oh shit moments, but at the same time, it has a very hard time balancing the reality slash gravity of a situation with its own cartoon universe. So they play fast and loose with continuity where at other times they don't. So it's schizophrenic in that way. You don't know if it's going to zig or if it's going to zag. And ultimately the answer is just don't care. Just let it happen. But it's weird because it stands in the same league as as shows like Young Justice, for example, where it could be lighthearted and serious simultaneously. Turtles is very close to that. But you'll be taking something very seriously. They'll switch gears entirely and you'll go, but, 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 wait. So it's Wiseman Light is what you're telling me. (laughs) Right. It's a weird show. It's a dark show. It has some very strange, dark humor. And though it is schizophrenic, it's also schizophrenic in a good way that you never know where it's going to go. Kind of to that that dark, but also not sure what tone it wants to hit. Their super fan who got hit by the ooze and turned into a gelatinous blob with a brain inside. Right. Mutagen man. Mutagen man. Figure. Yes. That's kind of creepy. Oh, Why yeah. You break it down. No, no. The, mutation is not fun or exciting or even titillating in any in this sense. series it is proper creepy people have organs on the outside it's like growths in some cases you never know what's going to happen ice cream kitty is cute but also disturbing as you would expect and i mean even like kevin was saying in your interview with him the mutation scene he had to go to some really dark places for those meows <laughs> yeah no it's gross it's super gross like they are all about riding that line yeah like you know because like there was a certain amount of gross out factor in the original turtle stuff but it was also a little bit more playful. And this is like, no, creepy. It's not quite Cronenberg, but sometimes it flirts with it. So we're going to switch gears to the IDW comic, which is an interesting beast. Yeah, I was a little put off at the beginning of the series just because of the changes they made to the origin with the reincarnation of everything. And, and, and you know, Tony, I would love to go into it. I would love to explain it to people. But honestly, the explanation of it is so lengthy and so convoluted and weird I'll just say that I, too, am not a fan of the origin of the Turtles and that entire universe, let's say. But like many things, after the first season, things got off to a much better start and things have been rolling along. They've done a lot of really cool things. Yeah, once you get past that origin element, the stories that they've continued to tell in this universe have been fun. And it's acted in a lot of ways like the uh, Nickelodeon series, a really impressive amalgam of different facets of Turtles continuity. But in this case, one that's more adult, one that even though it plays fast and loose with its own physics and so on at times, it's a fun ride. 
so it's not burdensome. The current story arc has has Krang trying to take over the planet through a war with a Technodrome, and the Turtles are relying with former enemies because of this whole, like, galactic... There's a lot of shit going on in this book. Yeah, and we'll link to where you can pick it up on this episode's page. The story arc City Fall in particular would be a really good starting point for people. It's where uh, Leonardo gets um, brainwashed by the Shredder into fighting alongside him. And it does in some ways deal with some of the convoluted origins and so on. But then there's some serious casualties. It's a very heavy experience. Leo does not escape that experience unscathed. And it mirrors the incidents from the original Mirage series where the Turtles have to leave New York in retreat and go off and live in a farmhouse for a while. The Northampton story arc, which had art by Ross Campbell, was very well done and very well received. And from there, it's just it's been a stronger book. It's just been a stronger book in general. Thank God there is so much upstate New York for these turtles to go and hide in every time there's some <laughs> shit going on in the city. Because we've now established it in three separate continuities. Every time it's like, you know, my, my uncle's got a farmhouse upstate. Let's go. We'll roast marshmallows. It's nurse funny. Wounds. It's funny how how modern turtles is very referential in many cases. Like you know, it'll it'll reference older story arcs. But it's interesting seeing all these stories through a new lens, and then someday the new parts of these stories may be reinterpreted again. Who can say? It's a weird Ouroboros, you know, snake eating its own tail. And then maybe the next time around, Rob Paulson will voice a third turtle, and then in the fourth one, he'll just complete the gambit. <laughs> yeah, collect them all, Rob. <laughs> In the case of the Mutanimals, the team that we're seeing in this new book, it has some similarities, but generally it's very different from the original Mutanimals team. It's led by Old Hob, who is a cat who is mutated in the same incident that uh, the turtles were mutated in, and he was then found and experimented on. He has an, a missing eye due to a battle with Splinter when he was a rat, and uh, he harbors extreme resentment against humanity in general, as a beaten, downtrodden alley cat might. So he's teamed up with Slash, who has his own unique origins in this turtle's continuity as a laboratory test experiment, who had a bunch of unchecked rage and a really low comprehension, but was actually gifted further intelligence by the way the ooze works in this continuity. Pigeon Pete, who is a pigeon, mentally challenged pigeon, <laughs> just a straight up mutant pigeon. And then they haven't explained where they came from, but, uh, but Hob assembled an army that he created with his own private stash of mutagen eventually, featuring none other than Mondo Gecko. The guy's so cool. Who, this is actually kind of unusual for this turtle series so far, but you want totally rad. M much like the action figure, he's got a, a skateboard with some rockets on the back, and uh, there's also some machine guns that pop out from underneath it. And he's also with a brand new character called Herman, who's a hermit crab, who wears a upside-down, full-size, industrial garbage disposal... Dumpster, really. Yeah, dumpster, on his back, out, out of which pops some serious munitions. It's an incredible deluxe action figure. I mean, if there was a Herman action figure, holy crap. Yeah, we're talking moving parts, various rocket launchers, miniguns. I mean, I'm looking at the latest issue of Turtles where both of these characters are featured, and... I'm not going to lie. This is incredible. They look great. And it, it's weird. Like there was a, some lead in there where before they announced the Mutanimals comic, I was like, look, look, we're mutant animals. And I was like, whoa, what? Hold on there. What's going on? So now they've announced, you know, there's a spinoff book happening and um, I'm excited to see where it goes. It'll be very different, but it'll be fun. You know, we could probably ask somebody how it's going to go. We could. We mentioned like a while back that we're going to be talking to the guys who did this comic book. So we're going to cut to a track. And uh, when we get back, we're going to talk with the brand new Mutanimals team writer Paula Lore, and artist Andy Kuhn. This is a track from Kirby Crackle's forthcoming record, very appropriately titled for this episode, Mutate Baby. This album comes out March 17th, and you can pre-order it now. This is Mutate Baby's first single, No Spoilers, Please.
With us on the line of the creative team behind Mutanimals, writer Paula Lore. Hello there. Thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> and artist Andy Kuhn. This is the sound of my voice. <laughs> <laughs> such, such dulcet tones. <laughs> you guys worked together on the miniseries Utram Empire, and now you're doing Mutanimals. And as we understand it, this is actually the first time you've audibly spoken to one another. Yeah, so, so to recognize your voices <laughs> to the listeners, but mostly for yourselves as well. That's correct. That is correct. We have emailed a lot. We have worked together through our editor, Bobby Kerno, but uh, this is our first time speaking. It's kind of like we're bringing together a couple of pen pals. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are doing this Mutanimals book, and when it was announced, I was really surprised because in a great expansive chronology of Ninja Turtles, it's kind of an oddball title to bring back. So how did this all come together? From my end, with it being work for hire, it was pretty much Bobby, the editor, reaching out to me and saying, hey, you know, we're looking to do a new miniseries early next year. 
here are some possibilities we're throwing around. And he mentioned like two or three things and said, let me know if any of those appeal to you. And I wrote back like Mutanimals, Mutanimals. That's 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 the one that you mentioned that uh, that I would that I would love to do. So let's uh, let's hop on that. So yeah, I mean they've been building up this team in the in the main book for a while, and it's been really cool to to see that. And when he presented that as a possibility, I absolutely jumped on it and knew that I would I would love to do it. For me, it was just the same thing, except that it was already in the pipeline. And Bobby just basically approached me and said, "Would you be interested in drawing this Mutanimals miniseries?" And I was like, "Oh yeah." Let me draw that. That'll be fun. It's pretty cool because I think this is, uh, of the turtle stuff I've done so far, this is the one that's the most free to basically just tell a story that isn't that doesn't necessarily have to serve a purpose to the main book. I mean, obviously it's in the main continuity and the characters cross over and, and, and all of that. Both Utram Empire and with the micros that I did, it was always, you know... This book has to serve XYZ purpose to move the main storyline forward. Whereas with Mutanimals, it's pretty much just us cutting loose and telling a, a cool little, little side story about these characters. So that's been a lot of fun as well. Just out of curiosity, were either of you guys fans of the Mutanimals in their original run? You, I mean, you had said that you were presented with a list and you kind of jumped at the Mutanimals I, line. I so. did, yeah. yeah. No, I'll be honest, I, I did not read comics as a kid. I came to comics as an adult. So honestly, like, I didn't read any Turtles comics until recent years. Like, I was, I was a huge fan of the TV show when I was a kid. I'm like, you know, right at the right age for that. That had been a big part of my childhood. But in terms of comics, I, I really didn't read any comics when I was a kid. I did read the Mutanimals series a year or so ago, you know, kind of when I was catching up on some of the old turtle stuff in general but mostly the reason i jumped on it was honestly just because seeing these characters in the main book and really liking how they've been developing them over there and, and thinking that i could i could do something really cool with them for me I, I didn't even know that the mutanimals was a thing until i got approached to draw it but i had already drawn slash and old hob in the series and i love drawing those characters so it was kind of a no-brainer that's really cool because it kind of gives you guys both an opportunity to come in fresh to this without having to pay too much respect to your own nostalgia and really exploring these characters, like you said, in a very free and clear way. It's a group that had a lot of characters during the you know really fairly short time that it ran. So um, I've had so many people ask me, hey, is X character, is Y character, is Z character going to be in this? And, you know, if I said yes to all of them, I think this would be like a 20-member team. So, <laughs> it's, it's, so it would be an X-Men it's, book. It's, it's, funny, it's funny how so many people have have their favorite character, and they're, they're so very, very different from, from one another. Well, thank you for not saying yes to all of them. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Even though you guys don't have a previous relationship with the series, there's still elements of it creeping in as evidenced by the cover of issue one alone, where there's a building that reads Null Industries. Yeah, uh, I, I made up that word Null, and then later I found out that there actually was a character named Null in the old series, and I was like, oh, that's a weird coincidence. I hope that's not going to set up unrealistic expectations for people. <laughs> that's a joke, obviously. About <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> to say, yeah, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, no, no, Null is a character who is a lot of fun to work with. I did really enjoy bringing that character back. One reason that Noel's been a lot of fun to write is that I tend to, with my villains, give them always a certain level of relatability and humanity. I try, I try to give them some flaws and some good qualities that people will latch on to and not make them purely villainous. Whereas Noel, I'm pretty much writing as, as a pure villain. And so it's, it's been really fun kind of sinking into that and just writing the hell out of that. That's good. That, it's nice as, to write a, as, it, as it should be. Nice <laughs> to yes. write a Chester McBad guy. Right, right, exactly. Okay, something a little beyond that, Tony. Some little deeper, some little darker. I guess we'll see. Uh, we'll see how far Paul takes him. Yeah, it is a very different character than what was in, in the Archie books. I, I will say that. I mean, like, I think I stayed true to the core of the character, 
but I know there are certain elements that people are going to expect to be there that won't necessarily be there. So, yeah, that's all I'll say. <laughs> now, I'm not going to say who, but there's a character that should be familiar to a lot of Ninja Turtle diehards of varying yes. degrees that appears in this first issue. I'm curious about the approval process. Obviously, there's a lot you can draw from to decide what you want to include in a turtle story. And one of the most exciting things about Mutanimals is that uh, it's got characters from all over that comprises the essential team. I mean, characters who've been represented in a lot of different ways in a lot of different continuities. So when you pull a character from the Turtles continuum and reimagine him for the story, how exactly does that work for you guys? That particular character was actually Bobby's suggestion. He said, you know, here's a character that I think might be interesting to use, especially if you place them in XYZ context. And I was like, yes, that, that sounds awesome. <laughs> and in that case, that was, a, you know, I mean, he wasn't saying you have to do this. He was saying here's something that might be cool. And, and I definitely agreed. So, but yeah, I, I really... I'm excited about that character, and I think that, uh, that Andy did a really awesome job as well, sort of redesigning that character and um, you know bringing them into the IDW universe. For me, it's like my input is definitely in the artistic end. By the time all those decisions are made, they send me a script, and I just sort of try and not screw it up too bad. <laughs> <laughs> See, whereas I feel basically the opposite. Like, I, I know Andy's going to kill it, so my worry is that the script has to be at a certain level to, to make sure he can do what he does best. That sounds like an effective working relationship. <laughs> Both of you thinking you're the weak link. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I actually, I did want to ask Andy, I mean, as I know the Mutanimals are some really kind of wacky out there guys, what's been the, the most fun for you to, to put on paper so far? I mean, they're all cool looking in their own separate ways, and they're all kind of fun to draw. I'm sort of partial to big bulky characters, so I really like drawing Slash just because he's got that look and that vibe or whatever. But I like drawing them all. Everybody's completely different, you know? Some good variety. It's a slash is my guy right now. That may change over the course of all four issues. I don't know. We'll see. You do you do draw on a really awesome slash. So and, and slash plays a really big role in this series as well. So um, that's a uh, a lot of fun to to see. So both of you are sweet on the on the big slashy guy. That's sweet. <laughs> in, in terms of the freedom you guys were talking about. I was wondering, do you feel that there's a need to bring back characters that we may have already seen? Or do you feel the need to create new characters more than not? Or is it some sort of balance? Or does like Andy sit there and just draw crazy stuff? And it's like, can we slide this in? Or, and then, you know, like, how, what, what's that process like? It's a combination. In this series, obviously, we're, we have already announced that, that there are going to be some new characters. I think I can say that. But yeah, we're, we're bringing Noel back, obviously. And then there's a couple of um, additions to the cast that aren't in the Mutanimals and, and, and who are who are new. There's a there's a scientist uh, who plays a prominent role in it, who's really a fun character to create. We're bringing in three new um, mutant characters, and of the three, one of them is a character who we've seen before uh, in other continuities, but has never been a member of the Mutanimals. One of them is a classic Mutanimals member, and then the third one is a is a completely new character. Wow. And the third one's actually the first mutant that I've created for the Teenage Mutant Turtles. So I'm, um, or a co-creator, I should say. So I'm, I'm really excited to have, you know, to be able to dig in and, and help create a, um, a mutant in this universe. So if I could tell, you know, 12-year-old Paul that I was doing that, he would be very excited about that. <laughs> Sounds very balanced. Like something yes. old, something new, and even a character that might be borrowed. So how much more balanced you can get. Wait a minute. Are the Mutanals getting married? Is that happening? I don't know. That's the, we'll have to see. <laughs> Let's talk about the, uh, the characters. The roster is really diverse. There's Pigeon Pete, who is a slapstick character. 
a delight to read in in every incarnation and in the first issue man you you just you nailed him it's great <laughs> i've had so much fun writing pete the, the challenge with pete is to not overwrite him because he he's so naturally funny. He's, he's such a great comedic character, but I, I think you have to kind of treat him like mustard on a sandwich. You know what I mean? Where um, <laughs> it seems great in theory, but if you put more than just a little bit on the sandwich, it's going to basically turn into a mustard sandwich. So yeah, we, the, the the trick with Pete is is using him wisely and judiciously. So, but yeah, he he does play a pretty prominent role in the first issue, and I um. I just had a, a great time writing him. He is wacky fun to draw, but he is definitely like Brill Cream. A little dabble, do you? Exactly. <laughs> I'll say on Twitter or somewhere which one it is when the book comes out, but there's one panel in issue one, and the expression on Pete's face in that panel just cracks me up every single time I see it. Andy did a really really great job bringing the, the, the comedic elements of uh, Pete's character to the forefront in the art as well. There's just something about a bird with teeth that is unsettling, <laughs> but comedic yeah. and endearing and interesting all at the same time. You know, I've never even noticed that. I feel, I feel embarrassed now. <laughs> oh, I, I definitely did. When I saw the designs for that, I was like, why does he have teeth? That's so weird. But I'm going with it. Pete's actually an interesting situation because he's the first character, at least that I know of, that was created in the 2012 animated series that's been adapted into another medium. I think there was a like a really minor Pigeon Pete character in, in some previous continuities. I, I don't know for sure, but I remember just like when I was looking him up on like the TMNT wiki, seeing that and, be, and being surprised because I kind of thought the same thing. So huh. I will say that, yeah, I absolutely loved his appearance in the cartoon. It was just, you know, freaking fantastic. I was actually joking around with a couple other people afterward about how great it would be to bring him into IDW continuity. And then um, Bobby sent out this this document that was like, hey, guys, just to let you know, here's kind of an overview of what we're looking at doing up through issue 50. And I'm reading through that, and it's talking about Formula Mutanimals team, and it mentions Pigeon Pete, and I'm like, yes! That's fantastic! So then when, when they did bring him in, and they just made him so perfect. I think the core of Pete's character, and actually I mentioned this to Bobby when we were kind of talking about the, the team early on, is that he's completely amoral, not like in an evil way, but just in like a very simple way, and that he'll just go along with anything. If old Hob is like, hey, Pete, hang back in headquarters and play video games, he's like, sounds good. And if old Hob is like, hey, <laughs> Pete, hey Pete, go uh, go blow up that children's hospital for me, sounds good. You know, like it's all, it's, it's all the same to him. <laughs> Perpetually oblivious. <laughs> exactly, yes. So long as there's breadcrumbs, he's got one question. Are there breadcrumbs in it? <laughs> one of the, uh, the strangest characters in Mutanimals, thus so far anyway, is uh, Herman the Hermit Crab, who is totally new to the IDW series. Yeah. He's maybe the character I have the most questions about. You know, Mondo's a gecko, he's a cool guy, he's pretty laid back. <laughs> but Herman, a hermit crab, as per, I suppose, old Hobbes' edict that all mutants be animals first, was a straight-up hermit crab who's now fully absorbed a military persona and has some serious hardware. Yeah. You can't really examine too closely um, how quickly these mutants mutants become absorbed into human culture. Uh, I think that if you uh, start poking uh, at that too much, it it can fall apart fairly quickly. (laughs) But yeah, no, no, he is a really interesting character. And in the main series, we've never really seen him during downtime. 
before. Mm. So I have a little bit of, I don't know, fun is the right word in the series with the idea that he's like the ultimate soldier, but then when they're not in battle, he doesn't really know what to do with himself. You know what I mean? So he, he tries to stay busy and he even, if anything, becomes a little bit blue, a little bit melancholy when he doesn't have uh, anything to do, which I think is kind of a realistic thing for, you know, guys who are in those sorts of professions. And, and so that was kind of interesting to play around with. That's exactly how any mutated hermit crab would be in that scenario. <laughs> Absolutely. They're crabs of action, you know, yes, hermit crabs. Yes. Andy did have a question for a scene recently about whether he's able to get out of his shell. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so we came, we came up with an answer, which, you know, read the book to find out. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so those, those are the kind of things that come up that you're like, huh, that's, that, that's an excellent question. What, what, what would the proper behavior for this character be? Well, it's anything like Oscar the Grouch living in a trash can and imagine it's pretty sour. Like <laughs> <laughs> The Mutanimals, based on old Hob being a really aggressive leader, they kind of act in a lot of ways like a terrorist group. Where do you see them? Is this a book about anti-heroes or is this a book about edgy guys who just don't know their heroes yet? Boy, um, I... <laughs> I'm not quite sure how to answer that, so I'll just be very honest and hope that it doesn't get me in trouble. In my mind, this basically is a book about terrorism and about the argument about where the line is between terrorism and freedom fighting and if there is any line. It's a fun book. It's a wacky book. It's a, it's a funny book. But it's also a book about violence and, and torture and, and the effects of all of those things on a person's psyche. So plop down your $4 for some great fun. <laughs> <laughs> there definitely seems to be a moral center to it, where it's just not just characters going crazy and not really questioning their own actions or whatever. And we get more into that in subsequent issues as well. So <laughs> issue one is kind of structured to start out very wacky and fun. And then like there's kind of a turning point near the end where the, the new character we were talking about does something that I think you probably wouldn't expect in a book like this. And my hope is that it, it kind of swerves a little bit near the end. It makes people go, oh, hey, this might not be about what, what I think it's going to be about. That's actually kind of awesome because uh, really, if it wasn't uh, a funny book that had some really heavy themes or undertones, I'm not sure it would be Mutanimals. That's so. true. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I can safely say that this book will not end with the entire team being machine gunned down <laughs> like the original book. <laughs> so you're safe there. <laughs> Maybe the sequel. <laughs> awesome well on that note thank you so much guys great talking cool. with you thank you very much so the mutanimals miniseries comes out february 10th it's a four issue series hop over to your local shop and pick it up and you know something i forgot to mention that i, that I wanted to bring up is uh it, it didn't end up making it into the edited down version of the panel with kevin eastman but uh in it he mentioned that uh, he based casey jones off of jack burton from big trouble in little china which is a, a comparison that for some reason i never made and he says every time he writes them that's who he has in mind so Kurt Russell doing an impression of John Wayne. Right. That is so entirely perfect. Which then, of course, turned into Elias Coteus doing an impression of Robert De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> this is just some weird hodgepodge of awesome <laughs> characters. Which is, in bad I, impressions. I, I did, why did I not make the connection to Robert De Niro until you just said it? I've seen the movie a million times. <laughs> you want to throw me a clue here? I'm drowning. You'll move. <laughs> You'll move. <laughs> Turtles is an amalgam of things. I know there's a lot of people who know that the canister that created the Turtles in their continuity was also the canister that blinded Matt Murdock for Daredevil. No. 
Yes. Yes. No, that is straight up. The original Turtles origin, because it was just a one-shot joke, uh-huh. uh, much like all the one-shot jokes Nerdy Show's done that's turned into <laughs> something far beyond the scope right, of what right, we right. intended. It was literally the incident as depicted in Daredevil, but what happened to the rest of the goop, you know? Okay, and let me break this down for you. Daredevil fights the hand, the turtles fight the foot. Daredevil's blind mentor is Stick. The turtles' mentor is Splinter. Okay. <laughs> I can see it. They're not suggesting that Matt Murdock was carrying the turtles and he tripped and fell and they no, landed. Or just no. that they just went down the, 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 the slime went down the sewer and they were like just a, the a same accident. Victim. The same accident. Okay. Yeah. The turtles has always been an in good fun. Everything gets amalgamated and now turtles is amalgamating itself or mutating, if you will. Everything, <laughs> all, all, all of pop culture is mutating into itself in this bizarre hybrid, but uh, we all benefit from it. We all get cool stories out of it. If you want to dip into some classic mutanimals, well, you can kind of do it. And that is that uh, IDW is actually collecting TMNT adventures. They're doing it in a kind of odd way. It's not necessarily in sequence. It's mostly in sequence. So um, the original miniseries of Mutanimals is collected in some of these Turtles Adventures volumes. And when there was a crossover, the Mutanimals issue, there was a part of that crossover was collected. But uh, I recently asked the senior editor of IDW's collections if they plan on collecting the Mutanimal series. And what he said was, Mutanimal's classics, his words, not mine, will be considered for its own collection at such a time as the success of our new series can be determined. At the moment, our Ninja Turtles reprint program is quite robust, and we see no reason to add another title to the mix. Ladies and gentlemen of the fans, this is your charge. Go to your comic book stores, find the Mutanimal's miniseries, and buy. Buy for yourself, buy for your friends, buy for people who do not know the Mutanimal's, because this is the only way that we will get the classic Mutanimal series collected. Yes, 100%. I can't recommend these collections enough because, quite frankly, these are some of my favorite stories and it's hard to get a hold of these. And right now they're in the midst of collecting and reprinting stories that actually never... There were many collections of the earlier issues of of this run of TMNT Adventures, but they're doing stuff right now that's never, ever been collected. So that's a big deal. Unfortunately, there is actually a hole that popped up recently. There's a, a story arc where the Turtles travel the world. The turtles cover a lot of geographic ground in the series, mm-hmm. but there was a period where Splinter takes the turtles to Japan. There were some significant plot motivations, but he also wanted to use the opportunity to show the turtles like the world that he grew up in, because in that continuity, much like the original animated series, Splinter was once a man, was once Hamato Yoshi. So he takes the turtles on this journey, which takes them through the Asian continent, through the Middle East, and then eventually back home. They actually skipped over a part of the story arc recently where they go to the Middle East, and in it, Chris Allen did, in fact, draw the Prophet Muhammad. Oh. And it's, oh. it's missing. I asked the editor of IDW's collections if that would be reprinted, and he tactfully did not follow up on that part of the question. He only followed up on the Meat Animals part, so I don't know. It might not happen. It might be incomplete. There might be some issues that you're going to have to track down. Obviously, there are some reasons that it wouldn't show up. Yeah, and it's a crime because it was done tastefully. It was done respectfully. But honestly, all they'd have to do is white out a single portrait. The way the page is laid out, they wouldn't have to have it to affect anything. But we'll see. Hopefully, that's part of the storyline will be released at some point. Even still, the collections are great and, well, necessary. If, if you want to check it out in this day and age, there's no better way to do it. And the only way that it's going to be sustained is if you pick them up. So I, I can't recommend highly enough picking up the reprints of TMNT Adventures. You know, we've been talking a lot about some of the, the crazier characters from the Turtles continuities that, that made Turtles so fun. And I'm curious, what characters from the original 90s iterations of the Turtles were you drawn to, either from action figures, comics, animated series, well-known or obscure? What cool creation 
do you remember the most? Man, growing up, my favorite villain was Baxter Stockman, just because when he went full fly mode, like that was just a great action figure because it was creepy, but not like scary. It was comically creepy. Yeah. And it was a good match for the turtles in my mind, just visually in every other way. But because of the cartoon and because of the, uh, again, the cool action figures, Bebop and Rocksteady might edge out over the others. Just something about the design of them and the way they could work as in three dimensions as a toy, but also in two dimensions and have that cool look. And they wore clothes. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. There's something about it which is really, was really cool. For me, I liked a lot of the mainstream stuff I did. I like Bebop. I like Rocksteady. I right. like the Rat King. He was always a weird design for me. He's huge. He's got all these bandages all over him. I never really understood why. Mm-hmm. But if I, if I had to say something that stuck with me, I, I've always kind of dug that Two teams going up against each other, case of mistaken identity. Turtles thought they were villains. Frogs thought the turtles were villains. They gang up at the end and they beat the crap out of Shredder and his buddies. And correct me if I'm wrong, they had a flying sports car of some sort. Shredder had a flying sports car. That they stole at the end of the episode. I remember them driving off in this. It was because it was like a yellow drop top convertible. That may have happened. Typically, Shredder was rocking a purple and black drop top convertible but you seem to have retained a surprising amount of this information so i'm i i I remember it being yellow i remember the flared bits at the back there may have been several of them i mean the neutrinos flew in different kinds of no that okay i i am meshing up the neutrinos with the frogs oh that would have been weird yes it would (laughs) have but it really is hard to pick you know with the turtles i know where i lie with their myriad friends and enemies I mean, hell, I could even say Usagi Yojimbo and you, technically be correct. Technically. Because Usagi Yojimbo is fucking badass. U- Usagi got more exposure from the Turtles and being featured as an action figure and in the cartoon show than he did as an independent comics character. So, Which is depressing because, again, fantastic book. I love Turtles. <laughs> I like Turtles. <laughs> and you, Cap? When it comes to Turtles, like, ask me to pick a favorite is Redonk. But as far as, like, you know, memorable action figures and stuff, I mean, I was all about that cool, weird, fluorescent craziness that was coming out of playmates and mirage back then Mm -hmm. so to reference action figures exclusively because it's obvious that i have a a predisposition towards any character that appeared in tmnt adventures but mutagen man i think the reason he keeps showing up in so many different modern iterations is it was a character that practically nothing was done with this character you know aside from the action figure and 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 like a one-shot appearance on the original animated series but he was so memorable because he was so disgusting and such a unique action figure of this, not cardiovascular system, but, but, but like organ system suspended in a hollow tank that you were to buy then the mutagen and pour into this thing with these limbs on it. It was crazy. It was one of the craziest figures they ever did. And now you're seeing him in so many different incarnations of the turtles because everyone's like, yeah, that was fucking awesome. Let's check that out some more. Similarly, there was a uh, muck man, a dude made out of garbage who you could pop open his uh, banana peel covered brain cavity and pour it. <laughs> mutagen down his head and it would spew out of his his this hole in his midsection um but i think most of all i remember the action figures for worm and scumbug i could tell you where i was when i first saw them when a kid brought them to school without any knowledge of like what was coming out in the world of action figures there they were these brand new turtles figures and they were crazier and brighter and weirder than anything they'd ever made before it was a paradigm shift for those playmates toys and those two figures were nuts Hmm. this has been quite the emotional ride I think we all learned a little bit about each other. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's, this won't be the last time that we ride with the mean green teens. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> In the party wagon of our imaginations here yep. on Nerdy Show. You know, they are the world's most fearsome fighting teens. 
In closing, I would like to recommend everybody check out the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Ultimate Visual History by Andrew Fargo. It is ultimate in every sense of the word. Honestly, I've never seen anything like it before. It's a fantastic and in many ways exhaustive collection of behind-the-scenes information and interviews and images from all across every Turtle continuity and features these inserts that are reproductions of like actual fan club letters from the turtles and pages of scripts and it's yeah, crazy I was, it, it almost because i was looking through it before the episode and with the inserts in there it almost looks like somebody's journal that they have been keeping about the turtles complete with like <laughs> scrapbook pages along the way it's incredible hats off to you yeah we'll link to where you can pick that up as well as all the turtles comics we talked about past and present and uh, any other additional stuff and of course anything you pick up on amazon Give us back to Nerdy Show. We're an entirely listener-supported podcast network. And if you shop through our Amazon links, either the ones we've linked to for individual items, or if you want to just shop on Amazon in general, you can go to nerdyshow.com slash Amazon and do that. Anything you buy there will give back to us. And if you like what you hear and you want all kinds of crazy perks, well, you can either give us a one-time donation at nerdyshow.com slash support, or you can subscribe to us on Patreon for even more awesome stuff at patreon.com slash nerdyshow. Gotta afford these pizzas somehow. Yeah, that's that's the perk, isn't it? <laughs> we are working towards what we have titled the Pizza Party Perk. If you'd like to give pizza money to all the respective shows on the network. That would be like totally tubular, dudes. You just said the magic word. <laughs> Taking us out, since we all like Toitles so much, here's a classic from Zombies Organize. Cowabunga! Back here live at the Waterfront Village with my friend, the zombie, Jonathan. You're looking good. Jonathan just got an awesome face paint job. What do you think? I like turtles. All right. You're great zombie. Good times here at the Waterfront Village. Open for the next 11 days. Back here live, back here live, back here live at the Waterfront Village with my friend, the zombie, Jonathan. You're looking good. Back here live at the Waterfront Village with my friend, the zombie. Back here live, back here live, back here live at the Waterfront. Back here live, back here live at the Waterfront Village with my friend, the zombie, Jonathan. You're looking good. Jonathan just got an awesome face paint job. What do you think? I like turtles. All right. You're great zombie. Good times here at the Waterfront Village, open for the next 11 days.
what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes or like and follow us on SoundCloud. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend or funding the network via Patreon. Any contribution gets you exclusive outtakes, episodes, and images from across the network, and there's even more perks available. Just head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. You can also subscribe to us via iTunes and SoundCloud. Leave a comment, like and share, and follow Nerdy Show on all of your favorite social networks. For more podcasts, articles, community forums, and other awesomeness, visit nerdyshow.com. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Turtles life, man. Turtles forever. Turtles in time. Secret of the use. Turtle soup. The Manhattan Project, <laughs> out of their sh- coming out of their shell tour. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs>